It's the Euros Digest here on Football Digest. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. Spain sent home. Football could be heading Rome as Italy move into the final. But who will join them, England or Denmark? Today we'll be reviewing semi-final number one and of course previewing today's clash as England aim to reach a Euros final for the first time. Here to do that, we have Football.London's Arsenal writer, Kai Kainak, and the Chronicle's Newcastle United writer, Sean McCormick. Sean, I'll come to you first up and sort of looking back on last night's game, We'll talk about that before getting to the semi-final and, and tease ahead to the England game. But but last night's game, it, it ended up sort of us, I suppose, living up to the occasion of of being a major semi-final. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a brilliant game in the end, wasn't it? I think the first half was a bit of both teams feeling each other out. It looked in the first five minutes like it was going to be a case of Italy swarming Spain over, and then as soon as they kind of settled into it after about ten minutes, kept the ball really well. Italy kind of had to revert from being this team who have really excited us this, this this tournament and reverted from the old kind of Italian style to being that robust Italy team who grind out results. And even though Spain dominated the ball, were the, probably the better team throughout the game, Italy always held in there and always kind of never really looked out, 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 out of the contest. And in the end, they ground out that win in the old Italy style. Similar to the, to the way they beat Austria, actually, as well. That was a kind of similar way, way, way they won that game. And They've, they've kind of won in every way possible. They're on this massive unbeaten run and they're, they're looking really, really good at Italy. Um, shame for Spain. You know, they started off quite quite, quite poorly in the tournament, two draws against mediocre opposition. But since Sergi Busquets came back into the team in the Slovakia game, they've looked a different outfit. He, he, he's allowed the midfielders to be a bit more expressive. I think last night he did all the dirty work, which allowed the likes of Pedri and Koke and... Danny Almo, who I thought was brilliant last night, to, to get in those pockets of space and be a bit more creative, be a bit more expressive. And yeah, I think I think Spain have a, have a bright future with, with some of the young players they have there. It didn't look good at the start, but they grew into the tournament and they were very unlucky last night not to reach the final. Was it, I suppose, for, for this tournament, Kai, was it typically Spanish in the end that they did create all of these chances? But we were talking about it on yesterday's podcast that you feel as though Spain need to create 10 to score one. And th- th- even after they fell behind, there were chances after they'd equalised for them to go ahead and they just never really quite had that conviction. No, uh, they didn't start Morata up front, which was odd given how Luis Enrique has been very pro-Morata for the entire tournament. And uh, when Morata came on, obviously it was quite a calm finish to get the goal. But without a proper strike, it's what everyone's been saying about the Spanish World Tournament is if they had a proper striker up front, if they had someone like Harry Kane up front, they would have walked away with this tournament easy. Like they, they, the amount of chances they create is it's really impressive. They just need someone who's capable of putting it away. Compare that to the Italian side who didn't really create that many chances that I can think of. There was quite a few offside ones, but in terms of ones that actually would have stood, there was um, obviously the Chiesa chance, which he finished brilliantly. And you compare that to the amount of chances that Spain had, like you said, and, you know, that's, the difference at this level, especially in the latter stage of major tournaments, is can you take your chances or can't you? And Italy could, Spain couldn't, and that's why Italy are going through and Spain aren't. Yeah, I think it'll, it'll, it may end up being a night, Sean, that we look back on sort of the, the explosion and the birth of two elite players on sort of the, the European football scene. In Danny Olmo, there's been a lot of talk about him for, for quite a while. I'd never really been entirely convinced, but last night... What a performance that was from him and Federico Chiesa back at Wembley after that goal against Austria. And he's done it again, an absolutely sublime finish from him. Yeah, as I said, I thought Danny Almo and, and Pedri were, were brilliant last night. Two young players who, you know, it looked as if it, their first major international semi-final, it looked as if they'd, they'd been there before and done it a thousand times. They were fantastic. They were brave on the ball. 
<clears throat> taking the ball in the half turn really well, creating chances. Um, <clears throat> I think Kaya touched on it there with with, with Chiesa and the way he he, he took his chance and the difference between him and Morata in, in terms of he had a lot of time to think about that. And you look at the, the, the Ports challenge and, you know, Eric Garcia probably should have done a bit better and showed him down his left-hand side, but he had time to, 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 to have that kind of thought of mind to work on his right foot, find the finish he wanted, which the keep, you know, if he goes down his left-hand side, it's an easier save for the keeper on his right foot. He's bent into the one place where the keeper can't get to. The difference between him and Morata, where if you look when Morata got played in down the right-hand side in the box and he didn't pull the trigger, there were time where he worked some space in his left foot, again, didn't pull the trigger, the ball went out of play. When you look at Morata, it's kind of like, <clears throat> he, when it when, it, when it's instinctive and he doesn't have much time to think about it, he's very good. So in terms of the goal, he didn't have time to think about it. It was one touch, bang, bottom corner. Similar with the Croatia goal where, not again, not much time to think about it. Instinctive finish. When he has got that time, it seems like there's, there's just something in his mind where, whether it's a lack of confidence, whether it, whether he's got the doubts in his mind, I don't know. But when he has time to think about it, 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 it it's a different story every single time. And it, it, I'm sure we're going to touch on it now, but the penalty shootout, you never, ever felt confident when he was walking forward. And I think there was a, a time where the camera kind of panned into him a bit and there was a rule of the eyes beforehand. You could tell he was nervous. He never, ever looked like he was going to score that penalty. It was the same against Slovakia, the penalty he missed against Martin Dubravka. So... You know, I feel for Murata because obviously he's, he's, it's well documented that he's, he's had a bit of abuse this tournament and he's he struggled to cope with that. He's had his good moments, but I just I think there's just something missing there. Like you'll never quite be that elite forward that's being needed in this tournament to go all the way. Yeah, Sean referenced it there as he was saying that you have time to think about a finish for Alvaro Morata. You don't feel confident. Well, you can't get more more time than in a penalty shootout, can you, Kaya? But I suppose he's the personification of this Spanish enigma that we've seen through the course of the tournament because last night's goal takes him outright leader in terms of Spain goal scorers at European Championship tournaments ahead of Fernando Torres on six goals. And yet you're left scratching your head thinking, when he's stepping up for the penalty, you've next to no confidence he'll bury it. Wow, I'm given the sort of narrative around him, you'd never know that, would you? That's incredible. No, I never thought he was going to score, like Sean said, when he looked up at the penalty. He looked up at Donnarumma, he didn't look like he wanted to be there. He was walking up, he was quite sort of slow to walk up. And I, I, yeah, it was quite a tepid penalty, wasn't it? He didn't really fire it with much power or conviction, didn't really get it in the corner and... Spain have had problems with penalties for the whole tournament. It's not just Morata, but he seemed to be the one who couldn't cope. And I remember, I think Sean referenced it there, where he dribbled the ball out of play on his left foot, which was just after he scored the goal. And I remember thinking, right, he's done that now. He's not going to be able to forget about that for the rest of the game. And I think the difference between the elite strikers, if you compare them, I'm talking about Harry Kane again, but let's say um, someone like, I don't know, uh, Benzema, for example, they'll miss chances. But that's that. That's done. They've forgotten about it and they've moved on. Morata seems unable to do that. It seems to affect him for the rest of the game. Even if he scored, he can't then take the confidence from that because he's worrying about the ones he missed. And I think I was listening to Rob Green on the radio who played with him at Chelsea talking about him. And in training, he's always beating himself up, being really self-critical. And I think he's someone who just, he needs the love of the manager, which he's had, to be fair, for the entirety of this tournament. And there's only so much he can do as a coach. But I think, yeah, if he's able to get over, I mean, he's he's not a young player anymore, but if he's ever able to get over the mental block that seems to be stopping him from just believing in himself, because he's clearly got the talent. And when he's even if he's not scoring, he's still playing pretty well. Um, but if, if he's ever able to get over that mental block, then I think he could be an elite goal scorer, which to be fair, given his record that you mentioned there, he kind of 
is, but you wouldn't think it from just how he carries himself. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you on that. And I suppose if you go from him as a a penalty taker racked with nerve, Sean Jorginho's anything but. I mean, the cojones on him to to do that, to sit down Unai Simon in the in the shootout with the decisive kick. I mean, we knew what was coming, but the execution was brilliant. It was brilliant, and and I was watching it thinking, surely he's not going to try this. <laughs> the, the decisive penalty in a European Championship semi-final, but fair play to him, he did it, and he did it so well. As you said, that Unai Simon was already on the floor before he even kicked the ball, and to do to have the, you say the cojones and the, the presence of mind to do that, fair fair play to him. I think Italy's penalties in general, apart from the one they missed, were very good. I mean, Bernadeschi's was brilliant. Bernucci had, had very calm with his penalty. Um. Bellotti's penalty right in the bottom corner. He couldn't have got any more in the bottom corner. Um, thought he was going to rip a hole in the net. To be yeah, it, 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 it was, you know, as a Newcastle right here, remind me of, of some of Alan Shearer's penalties where, you know, he blasted through the ball and right in that bottom left-hand corner. It, it, it was interesting because Spain obviously came off the back of that penalty shootout win against Switzerland where Unai Simon, you know, did very well in the shootout, saved a few penalties, he, you know, putting players off by dancing across his line and obviously he saved the first one last night and you thought, here we go again, but with this Italy team, there's just a togetherness there, there's a, there's a steeliness there, there's a there's a belief which obviously comes from the fact that 33 games unbeaten, but, you know, it, it starts at the back with Bonucci and Chiellini who have won everything there is to win, massive experience, but even Donna Rummer in goal, only twenty-two, but the maturity that he plays with in goal. Granted, he's been he's been AC Milan's goal, number one goalkeeper since he's been a teenager. But it, particularly with the goal last night, it started from him. He caught the ball, quick, quickly released it to Verratti straight away. He won the counter attack, and I, I just think he plays beyond his years. And it, obviously, at club level is going to be very interesting to see how he does at PSG competing with Kilo Navas. But I've been very, very impressed with him this tournament. He hasn't looked phased at all. It, it looks effortless to him. Um, going forward, there's no real superstar on the Italy team, but there's no real weakness either. The midfield, three very good players in there, in Barella, Jorginho and Verratti. Going forward, Chiesa's had a brilliant tournament, Insigne's had a brilliant tournament. Immobile's been a bit quiet here and there, but you know he's always a threat. And I, I just think I think that there's no real weakness there. They're a very solid team. and I, I was glad they got the final, to be fair. I think they've been the best team in the tournament, and it would have been a shame if they didn't get there even though in the balance of the game last night, probably Spain deserved to win the game. Yeah. Point on Donnarumma as well. That save in the first half as well was incredible as well, sort of going early to stop Olmo. But Kai, before we move on then to today's semi-final and the game we're all <laughs> dreading but excited for, on on Italy, you don't always see, as Sean was saying there, it's the culmination of a 33-game unbeaten run. You don't always see a best team in a knockout tournament deservingly kind of get through to a final and they were second best last night but in the end I suppose they've they've earned that luck through the course of of the tournament yeah they've they've showed that no matter what you're going to throw at them they've been able to cope with it Belgium were the number one ranked team in the world they swatted them aside I mean I it was a good game but I always felt Italy were quite in control of that they've been able to go to extra time and keep their cool against Austria they've been able to blow teams away in the group stages they played attacking football. They've played the more traditional Italian defensive football, which we saw last night. And they seem capable to do it all, which is, I mean, Sean was saying there how he was glad that Italy got through from an England perspective. And I'm not getting ahead of myself, but I'd much rather play Spain in the final than Italy just because everything you throw at this Italian side, they've got experience at the back. They've got youth up front. They've got a nice blend of technical ability and bite in midfield. And yeah, 
if England were to get to the final, I, I'm, I'm very worried about playing the Italians because they look a really formidable out. Let's get on to, to England then. And, uh, well, I have to wipe my brow as I, I introduce us and take us on to this. Sean, I was I was exceptionally nervous ahead of the Germany game. I've been keeping it in check, but I think whilst we're recording this and just realising what's at stake, the opportunity of seeing England in a major tournament final. I mean, how, how are you feeling? And what's the expectation from yourself today for England? Well, it's quarter past nine still, the best part of 11 hours until kickoff tonight. And I'm already very, very nervous about, about England's game tonight. In terms of in terms of the match, obviously, you know, if someone said you prior to the tournament, you've got Denmark in the semi-finals to get to the European Championship final, I think most would have taken it. But at, at Wembley, I think we're the, we're the better team man for man. I would expect England to win. But... This this Denmark team are riding the wave of emotion off of of Christian Eriksen. They've still got all, all, all the momentum that they managed to build from from that incident. Um, they've got good players throughout the team. You look at look look for one to eleven. There isn't really a real weak link there. They're all solid players who play in the top European leagues for top clubs. Got you know big big game experience, and I think they'll come to Wembley believing. You know, you look at Kasper Schmeichel. I know it was a bit tongue in cheek his comment about you know when he got asked about his football coming home, but. I think that says to you the belief that Denmark aren't going to come here to lie down. They really do believe they can win. And why not? You know, you look at the recent Nations League history, they, they beat us at Wembley. Granted, it was it was, in, it was in front of no fans and there'll be 60,000 fans there tonight. But I just think you, you, you can't take this Denmark team for granted. I, I thought looking at the draw prior to the tournament, they would get the semi-finals. And then obviously with what happened in the group stages, that you know, kind of threw that into doubt. But they've managed to turn it around. They've got there. They've got it. They've got it. They've just got a real team spirit there. They're, they're, they're very solid, as I've mentioned. I think England will win. I think England are the favourites, but I think, I think you, you can't you can't take this Denmark team for granted at all. They've had some big results over the last few years. Um, as I say, they'll they'll believe they can come here and, and, and win tonight. And it's going to be a tough game, but hopefully England come through with the win. It's huge as well, though, isn't it, Kai, that England are now making it kind of a, a bit of a routine of getting to semi-finals. Of course, there was the Nations League semi-final between sort of Russia and now as well. And I, I suppose Gareth Southgate hit the nail on the head once again in his pre-match press conference saying, we are a nation who sometimes get a bit carried away and think that our footballing heritage and history maybe is is somewhat better than it really is. But now kind of rewriting the modern history, if this can be the level that he's set and sort of achieved on a regular basis, then inevitably, hopefully, fingers crossed, if we keep getting to semi-finals, we will reach a final. Yeah, I love all the caveats on that, Sam. That's <laughs> yes, fingers crossed England can reach a final. I mean, before 2018, in my lifetime, I'd never seen England get beyond the quarter-final. And there'd always been talk about how England are the best team in the tournament, golden generation, they should be getting further than they are, but they never did. And I think, yeah, it's very easy to get carried away. I think this is different from the 2018 semi-final. In the, the 2018 semi-final, we were quite happy to have got that far and we were almost surprised to have got that far. Obviously, the draw was similar in the sense that it was quite favourable. But England, this time around, they've always, from the out, been confident that they want to go far in the tournament. They want to get to the latter stages. And that's exactly what they've done. And that's built on the confidence of the 2018 World Cup uh, semi-final, the 2019 Nations League semi-final, and proving that, especially with the Nations League, that they can go toe-to-toe with big teams and do well. And like you say, I think the footballing heritage 
doesn't necessarily dictate that England have a God-given right to be in the latter stage of the tournament. It has to be earned. And I think that's been forgotten in this country uh, a lot of the time in recent years. And I think it's good that a manager like Gareth Southgate, who is very sort of cautious in the sense that he doesn't like to let his teams get too carried away with themselves, even if the fans definitely are. So I think he's good. He's the right man to have at the helm for that kind of situation. And I think the mentality he's installed into this team of, it's a football cliche, but just focusing on the next game that's coming up is really important. And that's one of the reasons why I'm confident that England might possibly get to the final tonight. I'm going to throw loads of caveats in as well because I'm just as nervous. Yeah, fingers crossed, hopefully. But uh, yeah, yeah, Sean, in terms of Kaya saying there, sort of mentality and that and that buzzword, to me, that sort of seems to be the real difference with this England team. They're, they're, I mean, f- for example, I remember growing up Euro 2004, that quarterfinal with Portugal. I, I still have flashbacks now and think if that Sol Campbell goal was allowed, we would have won that tournament, but we didn't. And we came up against a bigger nation and we sort of went into our shells and weren't able to do it against Croatia, maybe in the semi-final in, in Russia. We went ahead and we ended up realising what was at stake and maybe sort of quaked in our boots and, and fell away. And they obviously grew into the match. We sort of fell away. But the mentality now within this squad and the amount of players who have been through Champions League semi-finals, won Champions Leagues in recent years, it seems to be a huge factor for this team. Definitely. And I, I don't get the sense that this squad are burdened with history like previous squads have been. Um 2018, as Kaya mentioned, it, it, was, it was one of those where we hadn't been to a semi-final in so long. We all enjoyed the ride while never really truly believing that they could win. I think it was just obviously massively disappointed the loss to Croatia because that we could have won that could have won that game. But I don't. I think if we got the final, there wouldn't necessarily have been that belief that they would have won the tournament. Then, since then, as you said, they're, they're kind of normalised and reaching semi-finals. And Gareth Southgate seems to seems to, you know. Make sure this squad aren't, aren't burdened by that history. They've, they've got the mentality of tournament experience. You look at the youngsters who have come through, and yes, obviously it's a lot different winning an, an under seventeen World Cup or winning an under twenty World Cup. But I guess they, they've, they've kind of had that tournament experience away away from home, where they take it game by game to have that success and transfer it. Being able to transfer that from you know into in, in this situation is obviously going to help. You look at the team one through eleven, and even on on the bench, the, we've got players now who are used to winning. You know, Manchester City players who have won numerous league titles, Liverpool players, Chelsea players who have won Champions Leagues. This team are used to winning, they're used to being in big games. And I think tonight, that's going to help England massively. I think Wembley's a huge factor as well. Um, you know, I've been going out to watch it in the, in the pubs or you know, in fan parks with my friends. So you don't kind of necessarily feel the atmosphere when you're there. Because obviously there's an atmosphere where, you, where you're at anyway. But when you, when you watch it back on the highlights, the, the Germany game, the noise when... Sterling scored, and then even louder when Harry Kane scored, and afterwards with all the fans singing, there's only forty-five thousand in that night. There's sixty thousand in the night. It's going to be even louder, and I think that's going to be a huge factor. I think you know if, if they win tonight and they play Italy on neutral ground, the way Italy are playing this tournament, and you know to be fair, England have grown into it and have been brilliant in the last two games. But overall, you'd probably think that Italy would be slight favourites on, on neutral territory. At Wembley, with that crowd behind them and the momentum that England are building. You don't want to get too carried away, but this this has to be this has to be the best chance they've had certainly in my lifetime to to go on and win a major tournament. As Kaya mentioned, there, I think you know you were ninety six. I was one year old. Since then, it's it's been kind of quarterfinal disappointments. Iceland, I think off air guy we mentioned, didn't we? That if someone said last Euros that England would be within a chance of in a final within a chance of winning the tournament, realistically, 
after that game within five years, you would have laughed. And the progress they've made since then, the youngsters that have come through who are, who are fearless, it's so exciting. Win or lose tonight, hopefully they win, but it's so exciting going forward that this England team are here to stay and the next three, four tournaments, they should be live contenders. Now, clip that off and send it to Gareth and he can play it for match. You've got me wanting to beat my chest. I was going to say, even in Rome, we'll take the Italians, given how we played out there at the weekend. But um, in terms of sort of the, the, the squad and the evolution of it, Kaya, and, and moving on from 2018, for me, the biggest difference is, is that real depth we've got now. And the fact that in 2018, it felt as though there were, there were 11 players, maybe 12 or 13 that we could rely upon. But by the semifinals, certainly second half, they were a bit jaded and burnt out in extra time that was that was clearly evident but this time I mean Jaden Sancho's coming for his first start in a game in a quarter-final stage the options are endless we started the tournament with Foden on the right then Saka came in now we've had Sancho play there and th th there's no drop-off in quality no and I think the the big difference is in 2018 England played the back three because they had to in 2021 in the second round they played the back three because they wanted to and that's the, the massive difference in quality that they've got right now. And there's so many different options, like you were saying, within the squad. Just look at the right-back position. England have four, potentially five. If you go into the under-21s, there's Max Ahrens, Tarek Lamptey, players like that coming through, six, seven right-backs who could probably get into most international teams in the world. And that's, that's unheard of. I remember for years, England have really struggled for strength and depth. And now it seems they have it. Of course, there are a few areas, maybe centre-back or maybe central midfield where England would like to have a bit more strength and depth. But if you look at youngsters like Jude Bellingham coming through, Ben White coming through as well, I think there's plenty of hope for the future there. And yeah, those forward positions, the the strength and depth England has is ridiculous. And I think the second France went out of the competition, England had the strongest bench left in the tournament, which is always going to be huge, especially when you consider that Italy will be knackered having gone to penalties. Admittedly, they get the extra day's rest, but who knows what kind of physical toll that's going to take on them. We saw Chiesa limping around in the last um, few minutes. Of course, England might go to penalties this evening, so I'm trying not to get too far ahead of myself. But yeah, the strength and depth England has is ridiculous. And if you consider that on that right-hand side, like you said, they could play Sancho, they could play Saka, they could play Sterling. Those three would get into, I'd argue, almost any international team in the world right now. And that's just a sign of sort of the, the luxury that Gareth Southgate has in this tournament, in particular compared to the last one, where, like you say, there was a bit of a, sparsity in terms of quality and the tactics were dictated by the players this time Gareth Southgate is sort of getting to more actively choose how he wants his England side to play and I think that really shows yeah right we'll talk a, a bit sort of tactically now and then we'll pick our England 11 before we go but Sean I wanted to ask you in terms of sort of the, the, the tactics side of it we have seen a back three in this tournament. We have seen a back four in the Nations League against Denmark. Of course, we only took one point in, in two matches against them. We saw a back three against them there. They've played predominantly with a back three throughout the course of the tournament. And Myler down the, the left-hand side, the right-footed left wing back, he looks a real sort of weapon that England are going to have to keep quiet. What would your thinking be? Back to the three like they did against Germany or stick with a four? I'm conflicted, to be honest. I think against Germany, it, it was it was hugely dictated by the fact that um, you know, the, the two wing-backs, Kimmich and, and Goulson's had such a good group stage that you had to try and nullify them. But the way England set up in that game, it didn't kind of nullify their attacking strengths either. So I wouldn't have an issue going matching Denmark with a back three and, and playing wing-backs again. I think, as you mentioned there, Joachim Mayer has had, a, had an unbelievable tournament. They've scored three goals from full-back. It's quite, quite, quite some going. 
Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be disappointed, surprised if that happened. But I think personally, I think there's not really the kind of the same level of necessity to do that than there was against Germany. So I'd be tempted to stick with the four two three one that served us so well throughout the majority of the tournament. I think obviously we're going to we're going to go on our own team selections um, in a minute, but I feel like the team kind of picks itself apart from that right winger position. Really, if you do go that way, um, but I've said with a few of my friends throughout the tournament because England have got such such depth, strength, and depth, and so many options. There's always going to be that kind of grumble from from certain sections of which which team which team they choose. I mean, I've I've had different teams for every single game. You're constantly changing from like what you've seen in the game prior, um, but. I think you've got to trust Gareth Southgate now that he, he's been meticulous in his planning. I feel like he, he, for, he would have planned ahead and for every team, he would have had an idea of exactly what team he's going to play. There's always surprises. He's done it his own way, but I feel like we've got to trust him at this point to go with what he feels feels his best because it hasn't let England down so far. They haven't conceded the goal. You know that They haven't looked shaky at the back at all. We, we've, we've managed to keep our threat on the counter-attack. Harry Kane scoring goals now. I think it just pays to trust whichever way Southgate goes with it. And I think, to mention at this point, I think he's got a team around him in terms of his coaching staff that seemed to be a real good balance that helped help England and also helped him. If you look at the celebrations, I think it was the third goal possibly against Ukraine where the whole the whole touchdown is going absolutely berserk. And then you see Steve Holland come up there and look at a voice of reason, make sure you get the other cards. Um, but, you know, you're looking at Chris Powell in the camp who... I think Gareth Southgate's spoken openly about the fact that he loves his manner with the players. He loves the way that you know he get the best out of the players, and he's he's kind of a, a friendly face in there as well as being a very good coach with a good good track record, particularly at um, football league level. He's made a difference, obviously from Newcastle's perspective. You've got Graham Jones in there who made a massive difference at Newcastle in terms of the second half last season, and there was a real pickup in form and results for Newcastle when he came in. Whether or not that was purely down to him, we'll leave that to a different debate, but. He seems to have had a positive impact on the camp as well. If you look at the training drills that, he, that he's done and the likes of Jack Grealish, Phil Foden, they've reacted really well to him. I think there's a good mix there. And Southgate's managed to build that environment in, in the group of St. John George's part where it, it looks like a lad's holiday without really kind of losing the seriousness of what, what it's, what's there. That the team spirit's brilliant and it's an environment where <clears throat> nobody's felt they've missed out. Kind of like what, what Man United players used to say about Alex Ferguson. It always felt that you were never being dropped. You always there was always something kind of in mind for the next game, and whatever way it goes, we have got to trust Southgate. That's the right way to go. He's earned that now throughout this tournament. You, you can't argue with the results so far. Five at the back, three at the back, four at the back. I'll be happy because I feel like there's an argument for for, for all of those ways to go that way. I think possibly the detract, the detractors would say that we went that way in the Nations League and it didn't end well. So maybe stick with four at the back, but I'll be happy either way. Yeah, I was thinking Denmark maybe earned the respect of matching them up and going three at the back. But at the end of the day, I want to get all the attackers in. So we'll go four. Um, <laughs> so Pickford in goal, what are we saying? Walker, Stones, Maguire and Shaw as the back four. I don't think we'll kind of have any any complaints there. With I would like to see Henderson come in, but I think it will be Rice and, and Phillips once more. Kai, what about the right-hand side then? We've got the big dilemma. You're our Arsenal writer. Does Bakayo Saka come back in for this one? For me, if he's fully fit, yes. Uh, he obviously missed the last game against Ukraine because he had a knock. So he seems to have been training fine. And from the pictures on the unicorn, he seems to be moving fine as well. Um, I think just Sean mentioned the attacking threat of Joachim Mela down the left-hand side. And I think Saka, in terms of those right-wing options, is the most defensively disciplined of the bunch, having played in the in a back four, having played wing-back himself. So I think that just makes the most sense in terms of 
trying to be aware of the threat that Denmark pose. And also he himself is quick enough and direct enough to exploit the space in behind that Mela might leave. And I think that could cause Denmark a lot of problems like it did with Gosens, who was Germany's biggest threat when Saka played on the right in that game. So for me, it would be Bukayo Saka, but I get why people might think I've got an Arsenal bias uh, in that selection. Yeah, and he's got that ability, as he showed in the Germany game, to spin a defender first time up and make them think, and it buys England a bit of room. Uh, Sean, you're going to be outvoted. We'll go with Saka in that position. (laughs) Mount Sterling and Kane. Are you happy with that, Sean? Are you going to go with that team? Yeah, I would have went with Saka as well, just to make sure that, you know, Kaya can't be accused of having full Arsenal bias in this podcast. <laughs> Prior to the tournament, if you, if, I, if, if you told me before the Croatia game that I'd be demanding Bakayo Saka at the start at right wing, <laughs> I would have told you you were mental, even though I think he's, he's a brilliant player. He's, he's he, you know, he, he, it's clear what he brings at both ends of the pitch. I still felt coming into the tournament that he was arguably the sixth best option in terms of the wing, the wing options that we have. For, for him to have come in and done so well against Czech Republic and Germany to be like now where you, I mean, most fans would probably argue that he deserves to start the day. And I think, as Kaya mentioned there, if he can negate the threat of, Mar- of, of Mela down the left-hand side, <clears throat> you've got a Sancho, you've got a Foden, you've got a Grealish you can, you can bring on with half an hour to go to change the game. And I think that's kind of, unfortunately for Jack Grealish, that's kind of the role he's had to adopt now, isn't it? I think yeah. it's kind of the fact that he's going to be the man that if we need someone to change the game, you'll bring him on to draw the fouls, to, to open a bit of space and, to be fair, I think he feels like he's relative in that role as well. So, yeah, I would go Saka and then you've got umpteen options to bring off the bench if it's not going not going the way we want it to. Right, well, that's it then for today's edition of the Euro Digest. We will be back, of course, to pick the bones out of it. However, it does unfold at Wembley this evening. But from myself, Guy Clark, Ty Kainak and Sean McCormick, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. <laughs>